entitled, Four Reasons Why You Were Made a Minister or a Servant. The last one we find in verse 29, chapter 1, where Paul says, Whereunto, which means toward this goal, the goal of presenting every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto, unto that, I also labor, striving according to His working, that is God's working, which worketh in me mightily or powerfully. So what is this working of God? How do we access this power? And what does Paul mean when he says it works in him mightily? How would we see that at work mightily in Paul's life? And then we could ask the question, how would it be seen mightily in your life? Would it look the same as Paul's? So Paul just uses a general Greek word for labor, work, nergio, work. He works, he, he labors toward the aim of presenting every man mature through the preaching and proclamation of Christ Jesus, which is in us, according to that mystery, the gospel, the riches of the glory of the mystery. And he's warning and teaching every man toward that goal. And so he's working, he's laboring. Ministry is labor. Not just ministry in an official capacity, but all ministry, all service requires labor. Exhausting labor, tiresome labor, labor that makes you tired, labor that when you lay down at night makes you weary. So everything that you would use the word labor in, in your day-to-day workings, whether you're at home working or in an office working, Paul uses a word that generally means the same thing. He labors. And so we need to remember, in the vineyard of God that we work in, God has given us ministry and service that is going to mean labor. Not the kind of labor where everything works out fine, and everything went easy today, and everything seemed to fall in place, but a labor where there's constant opposition. And we see that from the next word Paul uses. He says, whereunto I also labor striving, agonizomai, which simply means in the English, we get our English word to shorten firm form, agony. I labor in agony, Paul says. This is a word that Paul has used elsewhere in the Bible that captures an athletic contest of some t- kind. He uses it in 1 Corinthians 9.25. He that striveth, agonizes for the mastery, must be temperate or self-controlled in all things. He's using the imagery of running a race, the Olympiad Games in Corinth. Any athlete that's going to run the race and strive and agonize to gain the victory must be self-controlled. Watch what they eat. Watch what they do with their body and train regularly. Then Paul says, now they do it, athletes, in order to obtain a corruptible crown. We do it, agonize, self-control, 
in order to obtain an incorruptible crown. And Paul does not mean by that that the agony determines whether you get the crown or not. The agony is just indicative that it's already been obtained for us. So all the agonizing and struggling that we have to do as Christians is only the fruit of having already been crowned victors because of our union with Jesus Christ. In 1 Timothy 6.12, he says, Fight the good fight of faith. The word fight is the same word, whether it's wrestling, boxing, or an athletic contest. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art called and hast professed a good profession among many witnesses. And then Paul used the word concerning himself in 2 Timothy 4, where he says, I have fought a good fight. So that's a general word that Paul would apply to himself, and we could apply it to ourselves today. In ministry, it's going to require labor, and in ministry, we should expect struggle on two different levels. First of all, the athlete has to struggle internally, right? Mentally. You know, you often hear people tell the athletes, coaches, now you know, get locked in. That's the term they use these days. We didn't say it when I we used other terms. Get locked in, which means get focused, get mental. It's going to take mental activity on the field, on the court, whatever the contest is. It's going to take all your mind in this striving. Muscularly, you don't even have to, you can see that if you ever watched any kind of athletic contest or you've been in one. Every muscle in your body is at work together striving, straining to the utmost of your limitations to the point that some athletes pull a muscle because they strain so hard in the contest. Mentally, muscularly, and cardiovascularly, the breath, the pumping, the running, the heart is bleeding, uh, beating, the blood pressure is elevated, and you're taking every breath you can to stay in the contest. So, so Paul had internal struggles he had to deal with in his agonizing labor, but also external. In any athletic contest, there's somebody in front of you that's doing everything in their power to knock you out of the race. Supposedly, presumably, in a lawful way, if it's an athletic contest, they're following the rules, but they're trying to gain the victory, and they're in some sense trying to put you down, cause you to lose, knock you out. Mentally, they want to, to be distracted from your labor. How often does that help happen? There are forces at work against Paul trying to get him distracted from his labor that he's striving after. There are forces working against you to get you checked out on your labor and the ministry that God has given you. Muscularly, mentally, physically, all the ways that we can say, I'm I'm too, too tired. I'm too fatigued. I can't go. How, Paul, how, how tired do you think Paul was? How late do you think he stayed up at night? One time he was preaching about midnight. You know, the young man fell out of the balcony and died. And Paul, through the Spirit, resuscitated him. His life came back in him. That must have been a long service. Now, now, the point is not having long services. You understand that, right? Paul labored. He got fatigued. 
Jesus labored. He stayed up way into the night. And in Mark chapter 1, he got up way early with very little sleep to go worship his God. And how often are my excuses and yours so lame these days? Can I use that word, lame? That's a young person's word. It's lame. I got in late. I'm tired. I can't make it. No, you need to expect labor, striving, agony, struggle. Young generation, don't be a wimpy Christian. We know that it's the mental heart that really moves the body, right? The body does get tired. You need to get sleep. You need to take care of your body. There are times in ministry, every day for Paul, the call was to keep moving. Even in exhaustion, he was striving in beatings, in fastings, in watchings oft, he would say. You remember the the list of sufferings Paul had. So when you're confronted with fatigue, when it comes to doing the will of God and ministering and being where God will have you to be, remember, you're going to have to labor striving and struggling. And we live in a culture of Christianity where the struggle is just not what we're after. The fighting is not what we want. And so if it's convenient and if it's not too difficult, it doesn't require too much work, too much labor, then I'm okay. But if I'm a bit tired, I'm not in it. Paul says, whereunto I labor striving, agonizing. He's striving. He's working. Now, he says, of course, the way he does this is not because Paul is a super guy or a superman or he had some physical strength that we don't know about. It's because he said, I labor striving according to his working. This was Paul's motivation. This was what kept Paul going, is that there was something at work in Paul's life, namely the Christ that he preached, the Christ that he ministered to the congregation, the Christ that he, that he preached and warned and instructed was the same Christ that would be the sufficient source of strength. He would even pray. In that prayer in Colossians 1, strengthen with all power according to His glorious might. The spiritual power, spiritual strength, spiritual might. That does what? Unto all longsuffering and patience with joyfulness. So Paul says, this is the power he tapped into, this is the power he needed, and it was according to his working. Now what was this working? that Paul is talking about, and is this working available to us? Now, first of all, we need to realize God is always at work in one of two ways. One way He's at work 24-7 is in His providence. Sometimes it may not look like He is at work. Sometimes it may look like He's aloof or silent, but He is always, every second of every moment of every person's life on the planet, He is 24-7, no resting at all work. He worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. He's working, present tense, everything, which includes everybody, after the counsel of His own sovereign will. You know He works all things together for good to them that love Him. You say, well, that excludes those that don't love Him. Yes, with regard to good, but not with regard to His work providentially. 
Daniel 4.35, He worketh His will among the armies of heaven, and the inhabitants plural of the earth. And none can say unto Him, What doest thou, or stay His hand? So all the inhabitants of all time and all places, at every moment, God is working. We can be sure of that. Even when I don't recognize or see it, rest assured, He is working. But here, God is working in harmony with something that Paul says is working inside of him, not outside of him. God binds himself to work in such a way inside of us that he will get the glory. So if you're just working in the own strength that you supply, I can assure you he's not at work in you. If I'm just working whatever strength I can conjure up, whatever I can do by myself, then the Bible declares that that's my work and not God's, and it's not pleasing to God. So God's aim in this working in Paul and the working that's available to you in order to do everything in ministry that we've talked about in this message. Everything we've talked about, Paul boils it down to this one thing. It's in keeping. It's in align with. It's in harmony. It's in accordance with the working that works in me mightily. So just two or three things here, and then we'll close it up. Of course, that work is the work of grace. It's the work of grace. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.10, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. Paul didn't waste grace. Didn't know you could do that, but apparently you can. His grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored, here's our word, more abundantly than they all. I don't think Paul is boasting here. He's just countering the false prophets who were saying he wasn't an apostle. He was by the grace of God. He was an apostle by the grace of God. And that grace that he received for his apostleship, Romans 1, 5, He did what? He labored according to his working, which was at work in Paul mightily, which is the work of grace. The work of grace. Paul is what he is by grace, was what he was, and you are what you are by grace, which means we need grace, beloved. We need grace every day. And every city Paul went to to preach, every ship he was on, every conversation he had, he recognized that through Jesus Christ, Christ had purchased for him a a supply of grace that was never-ending, and God always had more grace to give to empower him through the promises that enabled him to wake up with freshly laid lashes on his back, wounds still open, to swim after a shipwreck to an island with 200-something passengers on it, to be without food, without clothing, without help, without material things he needs. He found himself in all kinds of situations where he was in need, but he was never short on the grace of God. So his awareness of God's grace in what he did and his trust in the grace of God was what kept empowering Paul to wake up the next day because in that day, God would meet him with fresh supplies of grace. And beloved, he'll meet you with the same. 
In Jesus Christ, we have received grace for grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. And there's never a day that you'll wake up and think, there's no more grace, there's no more strength, there's no more supply for me. You will have it in Jesus Christ. So Paul tapped into the grace of God that was at work in him powerfully. Just a verse that speaks about it for all of us. And you say, well, Paul is still talking about his own ministry as an apostle. Hebrews 13, 20, you remember, uh, the writer there says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead, that our great uh, Lord Jesus Christ, the great uh, shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect. Working in you that which is pleasing in God's own sight. Working in you to do God's will and that which is pleasing to God. So God is at work in every believer. He's working by grace and that grace is available so that we can do what? Labor, minister, strive, fight, war, put on the whole armor of God. And that's what was motivating Paul. Secondly, how do we obtain this grace? There are one of two ways. The first one is found in Colossians 4.12. It's mentioned by a man named Epaphras, which was likely the pastor, one of the elders at the church of Colossae. So Paul would say in closing in Colossians 4.12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ. Diakonos, a servant, or diakoneo, a servant, a minister of Christ. He salutes you, always agonizomai, laboring fervently is one Greek word. He always laboring fervently for you in prayers, so that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Now, Paul was preaching in Colossians 1.28, whom we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ. But here, and Paul says, I'm laboring, striving for that end. But here, Epaphras is praying to that end. What end? That you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God, which means what? Prayer is how we access the grace of God to be the very thing that grace aims to supply. We need to be asking God for grace. A synonym for that would be help, strength. It would be acknowledging to God your weakness, your frailty. Your fatigue, when your desires aren't co- cooperating. Sometimes we think we have to I know, act like God doesn't really know what's going on inside my head. So I'm going to just act like He's not listening or hearing that. When I can just say, Lord, I just don't feel like it. I don't feel like going to church today. I know I should. So rather than just not do it, help me, Lord. I need your grace. I need your help. I need your strength. Lord, I don't feel like dealing with the kids today. Maybe a shock to some of you children. But 
happens sometimes. Doesn't mean don't love you. It just means I just I need help. Or else I get up and I just go through the day acting like I'm going to change this verse to say, whereunto I labor, striving according to my own striving, which works pretty good in me, which doesn't. Prayer is the acknowledgement that, Lord, I cannot do this. I can't be a Christian. I can't keep believing you. I can't do any fruit. What makes you think that? Because Jesus said in John 15, without me, you can do nothing. And he said that in the context of what? Fruit. Here is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. How am I going to do that? Abide in the vine. Because without Jesus, you will do nothing good. And there will be no fruit in your life outside of Him. But we're united to Him. And that union works itself out in our prayer life. We ask God. Lord, help us to strive and to labor and to be working in ministry and service because there's opposition against us. There's my own fatigue. There's my own desires and affections to get in the way sometimes. And there's opponents called the devil and the demonic world and the world. And so Epaphras understood if this church was ever going to get off first base in growing in maturity and in all the will of God, He's agonizing in prayer. Do you ever agonize in prayer? Other times we think prayer's got to be real formal, and that usually keeps us from doing it because we're not real formal people. And maybe we think that all of our words have to be just the right words at the right time, the right place. Now, obviously, we don't approach God in an irreverent manner. He is a holy God. Beloved, the the psalmist uses the two words cry out often in the psalms. Cry out. Just cry out to God and tell Him what He already knows because He aims to be glorified through your need in prayer. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But the prayer of the upright is His delight. Why would He delight in your prayers? Because you're bringing all of your need to God. And the sacrifice of the wicked, they're bringing all their sacrifice to God. Say, God, we can help you. We can do this for you. And the righteous say, we can do nothing but bring our emptiness, our neediness, our weakness. And so, the grace of God starts coming through our need and asking Because the aim of God's grace is the praise of the glory of His grace. And when does His grace get uh, praised? When you desperately need it. When will the Lord build up Zion Church? When will the Lord appear in His glory? When He hears the prayer of destitute people. You know what my problem is? You know what likely your problem is? You're not nearly as destitute as you need to be. See, most of the time, you're pretty good. You're all right, aren't you? You can go through the week without God. And I guess I can too sometimes, right? We need to be more and more destitute before God. And as we get more and more destitute, what happens? He appears more and more in His glory. And He starts building up Zion, the city of the living God. 
with destitute, bankrupt, needy, weak people because God has so designed the church that what? Not many mighty, not many noble, not many are called. But He's chosen the weak and the despised. Why, Paul, do you say that in 1 Corinthians 1? Because let him that glorieth, glory in the Lord. And there shall no flesh glory in His presence. Nobody's going to boast in the presence of God. Nobody's going to say, this is what I did, this is what I said, this is what I chose. Nobody's going to do that. Because all the glory goes to God. And so let us be more destitute. How? Be more prayerful. Pray. Some of you here, you pray a lot. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep calling out. Some of you here need to pray more. Start praying more. Some of you here, you've never started. Well, start. This is not a condemnation message. Start. Start crying out to God. Start asking God. Start asking Him to show you who He is and show you this grace that worked mightily in Paul. The Bible says can work mightily in us also. So Epaphras was agonizing in prayer and we need to pray as well. We need to call on the living God and ask Him to help us to labor and to serve in a way that shows His worth, His value, His glory and in a way that gives Him uh, the glory He deserves. Next, we obtain it by faith. And of course, praying, prayer, faith, praying and faith are connected in the Bible. So if if prayer, pray, uh, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. As we hear the Word, as we hear the Gospel and the message of God's grace, by hearing it, we're empowered by faith then to labor and to produce the fruits that the Spirit works through us as God worketh in us to will and to do of His good pleasure. That's going to come through the Word, the Scripture. As we take the promises of God and believe them and rest on them and hope in them, Because if we're continuing grounded and settled and we're not moved away from the hope of the gospel, we're hoping in the gospel. And Colossians 1.4 says what? That's produced fruit since the day you heard of the gospel. You're hoping the gospel. Until the day Paul wrote this letter, what was happening? Fruit was going out because of the word of the truth of the gospel. God gets glory by the message of the gospel, because we're receiving Christ, Colossians 2.6. We're receiving all that He is, we're making no contribution to Christ, and out of receiving that grace by faith, hearing the gospel and the word of God, then we're empowered to love, to do good works, and to obey God, and to minister and serve each other, striving. So again, we need to be a word-centered church where the word of God is the place of supremacy in this church because it is the word of Christ. It is the word of Christ that's to dwell in us richly, which means to so influence us, to shape us, to mold us. So it influences our thinking, our affections, our choices, our preferences. Let the word of Christ dwell and abide there. And through hearing about his supremacy and who he is, out of that, what happens? Faith then works. Faith walks with the Lord. Faith is going to produce labor. Now, Paul, remember, prayed this in Ephesians 1 and about the 19th verse where he said, 
Uh, well, verse 18, he said, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know. Paul says, when you know these things, what grace has done and what grace is doing, it's going to help you tap into this grace so that now you are laboring according to His working, which working in you. So I want you to know what is the hope of His calling, what the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints. I want you to know about that wealth you have in Christ and what is the greatness of His power. That's likely the same word as mightily. I, I, didn't, I didn't confirm that. You can look that up. Dunamis is usually the word. The greatness of His power to usward who what? Believe. How do we get this power? It's not a mystical power. It's not some esoteric knowledge like the Gnostic false teachers were trying to push on this church. It's simply believing. According to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, set Him at His own right hand, far above all principalities, power, dominion, and might, set Him far above every name that is to be named in this world and the world to come. And has given him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness that is filling all in all. Where are we going to get the power to labor? To understand the greatness of his power that is to you, husband, that believe. You can love her. Are we talking about that kind of power? That's where Paul's going in this letter, right? You were thinking great heroic things, weren't you? No, I'm just talking about being a husband. You can submit, wife, in the biblical way that God calls you to your, to your own husband. Not in ways that men try to misconstrue at times, but the way that Paul means it. You can do it through the power that's at work in you mightily. Notwithstanding his moodiness and his unloving ways at times. Notwithstanding husbands, her unsubmissive ways at times. You can still... Be the kind of husband, be the kind of wife, because you have this available to you. It's grace to be in every relationship God calls you in and to grow into it. See, we're not talking about grace that makes us perfect because we still have sin that grace needs to to work out, but we can grow in these relationships in such a way that His working is working in us mightily. You want to talk about a mighty work? Be submissive to your husbands, wives. That's a mighty work that not many people know about. That's power there. You want to talk about the grace of God working powerfully in sinners who want it their way? You'll stick out like a sore thumb. Biblical, biblical submission. You want to talk about power, husbands? And a husband that loves his wife and that treats her with care and concern like she's a priceless uh, a vessel or a vase and is not demeaning her and treating her in a, in a wrong way that we see so much in our society, that's going to take power and you don't have it. Well, in fact, yes, you do have it. Through believing in this Christ that Paul tells us about in Colossians 1. You want to experience this power, young Christian child? In your home, where no one obeys their parents because it's so passe, and yet you submit to your parents with respect, and when you don't, which probably happens pretty frequent, you acknowledge it because we're sinners. You don't have the power to do that, but Christ in you, the hope of glory, 
is accessible by trusting in all that He is for you. Just resting it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to jump a mountain for it. You just rest in it. And you ask Him for it. And you pray for it. Now, why would God not give you this power when He gave you His own Son on the cross? He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. That's the greater thing. And you're going to tell me He won't give you this little thing called the ability to... To, to submit or to love your wife or to obey your parents. That's the point of Romans 8.32. How shall He not freely give you everything, contextually, that you need for the power to be what He called you to be? Because He aims to have the glory. And if you do it in the strength that you supply, He gets no glory and it's not pleasing to Him. But when we do it by faith, we are resting. Faith looks away from itself, looks to the glory of Christ, and receives Christ. And that is empowered to do even the small task. We'll just call them the small task, which really are always great tasks, of being a Christian through faith in Jesus Christ. You have this power. Paul, Peter would say in 1 Peter 4.11, If any man speak, let him speak, or do it of the oracles of God. If you're going to speak whether in official capacity as a, as, a, as a pastor or speak in ministering to one another, do it as of the oracles of God. Speak God's words and not your own. And if any man minister or serve, and that's what we're talking about. Actually, we're talking about both. If any man minister, let him do it, the ministry, in the strength that God is giving, the ability God is giving. Why? That God in everything may be glorified. How is God glorified in your serving? When it's through the ability that God is giving. That ability in 410 is grace. How do we access grace? We access grace by faith. And that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest any man should work, uh, boast. What does God do to secure His own boasting? He devises the whole plan of salvation. That grace comes only through faith and no other way. It only comes through believing. Because He has forever shut the mouths of men when it comes to boasting. You have nothing to boast in. Zero. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Unto good works. There's the work. How does the work come? Grace comes through faith to produce work. Striving. Laboring out of the strength that He is giving. That is available, not just for Paul, but for every believer in this room as you face a week that's going to have more striving, more struggle. Inside you, you're going to have a struggle with your own affections. You're going to not want to do something God said. Anybody just want to say amen to that? I'll amen that one myself. Amen. You are not going to want to do something God has said. You're going to want to do just the opposite. You're going to want to give that word back that you just got. You're going to want to be frustrated and it's going to happen. So let us call on God and ask Him to help us to recognize the grace available so it will produce meekness, humility, bowels of mercy, kindness, long-suffering, patience, forgiving. Colossians 3, 12, 13, 14. 
So they become new men and new women in a new community called the church by a new covenant where grace is coming. It's coming like waves of the ocean. It just keeps beating against us. We need to open our mouths wide and let grace fill us through faith alone. Now how do we know Paul or this grace was at work in Paul mightily? If we had to look at, and there may be many answers to this, this is the answer that I'll I'll take a stab at. You may have a different answer. I, I don't mean that uh, a different answer based on your opinion or mine. Just what do we see about Paul in the Bible? What would we look to? It says, yes, the grace of God was at work in Paul as he labored, agonizing. It was working in Paul mightily. Think about it. If Paul's speaking and serving, all of his speaking and serving, was done for any other reason other than the grace and the glory of Jesus Christ. The very grace that he trusted in, working in him. What do you think he would have done after the first beating? Or when the church at Corinth treated him so rottenly. I mean, they treated him bad. It was terrible. You're just like shocked. At what he did, and you're going to push him aside for people who are lying to you? Or the first shipwreck? Or the first slander, which just was a regular part of his life? He would have obviously quit. He would have said, It's time for retirement. I'm going to buy the house down at the Mediterranean Sea. They tell me there's good fishing there, good boating, good jet skiing. I'm going to go get me a cottage down there. I've had it with these people. I've had it with people maligning me, slandering me, misunderstanding me, not appreciating me and thanking me for all the work I do at the church. Not one person has ever thanked me, Paul could say. People did thank him, but a lot of people didn't. I've had it. Then you know it's not working mightily. The fact that Paul kept going was indicative. Grace is at work. He didn't need thanks. He didn't need applause. He didn't need accolades. He only needed one thing. Jesus Christ. And he had his fullness because he was attached to all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And he was complete in him. And he was aware of it. And out of that completeness... He labored and ministered to people that metaphorically spit right in His face. And you can too. The way you'll know grace is working mightily is when you don't give up on your wife and you don't give up on your husband and you don't give up on your children and you don't give up on your parents and you don't give up on your church with all their problems and warts and sins. They need to be confronted. They need to be dealt with. But Paul kept pressing toward the mark. Because he had a great God and a great Savior. So his service was not dependent on people. Once you make your service and your speaking dependent, your ministry, on people, it's not going to last. But when it's his working, working in you mightily, the fruit of that mighty work is what? I have fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the righteous judge shall give me. But not only me, but all those who love 
His appearing. Do you love Christ appearing? Then keep loving it because it's going to come one day. And may we labor, striving in the grace that He provides. Let's pray. Father, thank You, Lord. We just first confess, Lord, the inability, the, the complete inability in ourselves to do anything that we just read that you gave Paul's pen and that he recorded for us. Nothing. But we also read the glorious truth. We can do all things through Christ Jesus our Lord. All things that you command us to do. Through the vine, we as branches can bear fruit. We can because you said it's true. We believe it. We trust you. And we're asking you now, Lord, as we go into this week, we know All of us here may have, or some of us here may have some really difficult issues and situations that will be waiting them this week. Situations that will cause us to want to quit, to want to pitch in the towel, to want to respond in a way that is not biblical or godly. But Lord, you have told us that there's grace available to meet us every morning we wake up. No matter what we wake up to, there will be grace there because you bestowed it. Lord, help us to pray for it. And we're doing that now. We ask you, Lord, give it to us. Give it to us as parents, as husbands and wives, as children to endure. And pray that this grace would work in us mightily to be the kind of people that we cannot be. We cannot be humble and meek and lowly. We cannot be long-suffering and patient. These are not human virtues, Lord, we know, but it's the fruit of the Spirit. So, Lord, make that a reality this week. As grace comes, we ask you for it. We bring our need to you. And then, Lord, we trust you for it. We believe you for it. You've said it, we believe it, we take you at at your word. And now, Lord, we want to just move forward in faith with intention and deliberateness to do and to minister and to be ready to recognize your will in a way that we grow in knowing your will and grow in knowing a great and wonderful and mighty and precious Savior who loved us and gave himself for us. In Jesus' name we pray.